If you have a child with type 1 diabetes, whether they were diagnosed five days ago or five years ago, you continue to have questions. These are the questions about the emotional side of living with diabetes, the questions about how to parent diabetes. I'm Joanne Robb, a psychotherapist and fellow T1D mom, and I've been parenting diabetes for almost 15 years. In this podcast, I'm here to answer your questions about the emotional and relational challenges that come with being a caregiver for a child with type 1 diabetes. Before we dive in, I have to remind you that I'm not a doctor and nothing that I offer here should be considered medical advice. If you want to make any changes to the way you or your child is managing their type 1, please be sure to check in with your doctor or medical team. Let's get started. Hello to Angela. So Angela, I'm guessing you have a question yes. and I'll be taking notes. Thank you, Joanne. No, I was super excited when you said you were going to do this. So I don't know if I have like a particular question, but one of my big struggles I found with Jake, he just turned 15. Yeah. He was diagnosed at 12. Mm-hmm. We're entering the stage where he's trying to do a lot of the management on his own, especially during the summertime when his dad and I are at work and he's home and relying on him to check his blood sugar before he eats, you know, cover appropriately, you know, remember to take his Lantus at nighttime, things like that. It's been a big struggle this past year, especially Mm -hmm. um, coming, you know, to find out that He's not checking his blood sugar when he's supposed to. He's running high because of it. At one point early in the school year, we found out that he wasn't taking his insulin at lunchtime, even though he's telling us that he's doing these things. And so for me, I feel like my relationship with him is always about diabetes. Mm -hmm. Always. Did you check your blood sugar? Did you take your insulin? What did you eat today? Do you have any questions about your carb counts? Like, I, I don't want our only conversations to be about his diabetes, but I have to, right? Because he's also in that age where he's not taking full responsibility for himself either. So it's kind of like, how do I balance that? And like, how much of it do I let him do versus, you know, really stay involved and on top of what he's doing? Yeah, Angela, this is a really hard age for diabetes management and a tricky question. And so I appreciate you bringing it forward. Sure. Um, So I just want to clarify too, it sounds like he's on multiple Mm -hmm. daily injections and not on a CGM. Is Is that true? So that's, yes, that is true. That's another sort of struggle that Mm -hmm. we've had. He won't wear any kind of CGM or pump. He doesn't want anything on him. Some of it is it's uncomfortable for him. Sure. And some of it I think is that he doesn't want it to be seen. Mm-hmm. Um, so we are finger pokes and injections. And if the, I don't want it to be seen, do you think that's affecting his lunchtime bolusing? Yes. That makes sense. Yeah. So uh, you're naming two things that I think are important for us to focus on. One mm-hmm. is one is the difficulty of managing diabetes itself. Mm-hmm. And the other is the challenge in the relationship with you. Yeah. And I have to say, I would vote for the relationship to be the primary thing that you're looking at and focusing on. It's not that I in any way am saying unclip your seatbelt with him, right? Like there's no safety involved. It's just that what I know from the data is that kids around Jake's age start to have higher average A1Cs. Mm -hmm. So in general, if we look at a graph of A1C over age range over time, over the lifespan, 
it's not bad. Average A1Cs are pretty good when mom and dad have good control over young kids, right? Because they're mm-hmm. doing everything. And then it shoots up into the teen years and through the early 20s. And it kind okay. of gradually starts to come back down. And actually, the only age population that makes its target A1C on average are people in their 70s. Oh, so wow. if you look at the data, it's really hard to make those targets. And if you think about what your kid developmentally is trying to do, he's like probably a junior in high school or rising junior in high school. And, you know, he's got a lot he's trying to do just developmentally. He's wanting to figure out who he is and try to do different things. And instead, he has this extra burden. It's like the monkey on his back of diabetes. So being really empathetic with him about that challenge and keeping the relationship strong with you, I think is going to be primary. Okay. I'm not saying you let go of safety, right? But I think the first move I would suggest that you make is naming Mm -hmm. to him this, right? So saying to him, Hey, Jake, I'm noticing that this is all I talk to you about. And this is not all I want to talk to you about. And I hate that this has gotten wormed its way into our relationship in this way. You are so much more to me than your diabetes. I care so much about you. And I want to figure out a way to be talking at you less about this, right? Mm, I would really name good. that yeah. even mm-hmm. if nothing changes mm-hmm. initially. And I don't mm-hmm. think that it, how old is he? 15, that he's going to have yeah. any brilliant ideas about how to do that, right? Like, but I always think as parents, we're seeding these conversations. Like we're just yeah. planting little seeds and little plants so that we can grow them. And what you're, what you're communicating to him then is how much he matters to you, right? So that's, okay. That's the first thing I would do. Mm-hmm. The second thing I might tackle with him. So I, Angela, I would pick one thing to tackle. Okay. You named a lot of things about me. I know. Sorry. <laughs> no, no. There's nothing to apologize for. It's all real and they all matter. But I would pick one thing and I might ask him what that one thing should be. I might say to him, you know, I'm noticing that you're not checking your blood sugar. And I think for safety, you need to have checked four times a day. Mm-hmm. I know like between you and me, four times a day feels like not nearly enough. That's okay. I think pick a number, maybe talk to your endocrinologist about what that should be. I will name that that's the number my endocrinologist, my son's endocrinologist gave us when we were facing this problem. Okay. Was four times a day. So that's why I'm giving it back to you. So say that to him. I think you need to check four times a day. Here are the times. Decide with him Mm -hmm. when, right? Like first Mm -hmm. thing when you wake up, you know, before lunch, before dinner, Mm -hmm. before bed something like Mm -hmm. that. And if you aren't checking four times a day, then I think you're going to need more reminders from me. Otherwise, you're not going to hear from me about it, which puts you, Angela, mom, in the position of needing to download his glucometer data, making sure that there are checks there. But I want you to kind of find a way with him to hand control to him, Mm -hmm. right? To say, I trust you. And this is important. And I need to help you. Like, this is too big for you to do by yourself. So let me help scaffold this. But I trust you. I'm handing it to you. Right. So that's really good. Yeah. In the dialogue with him, I think Mm -hmm. is kind of what you're wanting. Okay. That sounds really good, actually. Yeah. The way that you're phrasing it and wording it too big for him to handle alone. Mm -hmm. But it's also, I don't want to have to burden him with it. And I'm trusting him to to take a big part in it, too. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say to a teenage boy, it's too big for you, by the way. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Okay. I might say it's such a big job. Like you deserve support. You know, at some point you're doing this totally solo 
And I want you to be able to, and you deserve as much support as you want right now. And it's my job as your mom to keep you safe, right? So it's both pieces. So I need to keep you safe. So four times a day seems like barely (laughs) safe, right? And so, but I'd be in constant conversation with him about it. Like what's working, what's not working. And, you know, you do have lunchtime boluses to tackle, but I wouldn't Mm -hmm. tackle it yet. I would I tackle one thing at a time and I would be praising him as much as you can for whatever he's doing right. Because he needs to feel like he's doing it well. Even though what you reported to me, I'm not hearing a lot that you're feeling great about, find it. You know, whatever it is that he's open with you when he can be, whatever it is. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for being here. I really appreciate it. We're gonna take a quick break and be back with more answers. We're going to take a quick break and be back with more answers. Right now, your child's type 1 diagnosis feels like the biggest blow ever. You feel worried for their health and watchful all the time of pretty much everything, blood sugar, food, exercise. If your child was diagnosed in the last year and you want to get back to the calm and sturdy parent you were before diagnosis, the place to start is with Sweet Talks After Diagnosis coaching program. Designed just for parents like you, by me, a fellow T1D mom and experienced therapist and diabetes coach, After Diagnosis will help you find a faster path to calm. When you're doing better with diabetes, your child will do better too. To find out more, go to diabetessweettalk.courses. My name is Anna. My son, Charlie, is five years old. He is our middle child. He is very strong-willed. And he was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes on November 1st, which welcomes a lot of people saying things like, oh, did he have too much Halloween candy? Is that why you took him in? And we took him in because he'd been, you know, peeing constantly, drinking a ton. I thought it was a bladder infection. But then, of course, when we went to the doctor, there were large ketones, very clear type 1 diabetes. So it's been about eight months. He is still in the honeymoon phase. It wasn't until recently that we actually put him back on the long-acting insulin and only a half unit, which made a really big difference, just that half unit. Mm -hmm. But, you know, a normal dose is maybe like one to two units. He does not feel his highs and he does not feel his lows. So we a thousand percent rely on the Dexcom Mm -hmm. and the technology, even when he is high or low, we'll try to say, hey, how are you feeling right now? And he doesn't really bat an eye. And the other thing that's hard is the common symptoms of highs and lows, irritability, just being difficult. That's his normal personality. (laughs) So we were kind of like, so like, was he born with this? (laughs) So that's always been very difficult. So it has involved a lot of calls to the endo office, talking to the nurses, let's experiment with this, let's try this new ratio. And I just feel like I just have a lot of caregiver burnout where like, I'll be okay. And then the Dexcom only lasts two days. And, you know, we have to take that off. And that's a problem. And then just the two hours without data is very terrifying, because we don't know, you know, what his numbers are, or like, because he doesn't react. 
And, you know, I love all the nurses we work with, but the last time I called and we had a new plan, I just, I couldn't stop crying because I just, I really mourn our old life, the ease of it. I just feel like there's no end in sight. It's just so much pressure just to be his pancreas 24 seven. And I just want to know how to combat that depression. And is it normal like eight months in to still you know, be and I, we try hard not to show him that we're upset or stressed because I don't want him ever feeling guilty or like a burden or anything. But there's a lot of frustration when he's just being Charlie, you know, mm-hmm. being difficult, running away from his shot just to mm-hmm. be a pump. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he's not, he, he doesn't, he's not on enough insulin to be on a pump. So it's manual shots. So it's just a lot of math and, you know, so I just kind of wanted to know if there's any tips or any strategies on kind of getting out of that diabetes depression mm-hmm. and feeling hope, I guess, and not feeling just down about it. So it sounds like diabetes depression, and you're putting that in quotes, you mean feeling hopeless and down. Am I getting that right? Yeah, like I'll feel good until I've had to talk to Dexcom, chat mm-hmm. with them for an hour. And it's just, it's just so much. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's almost mm-hmm. like I get into a funk. Of, mm-hmm. And I just kind of call it, well, I've had a bad diabetes day. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I'm not even the one with diabetes. I feel bad. You know, like he's the one that's got to live with this. But I'm the one that carries it because he's fine. Right. You know, he's so resilient. Yeah, actually, it's funny you use that word. He's so resilient because that's exactly what I was thinking about with you. And I even put in my notes like resilience because you're having you're struggling with that, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're you're coming along, you've got the routine, but it's very tenuous. Mm-hmm. If something goes wrong, you feel like you collapse. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah, I feel like I kind of drown in those instances where like I feel like I'm doing good for a while and I feel like I'm on top of it. And then I wouldn't even say anything bad happens, but it's just having to rely on the nurses and checking Mm -hmm. the ratios. And I just feel like a failure Mm -hmm. that I'm not doing a good enough job. And, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, he's only five. It's going to be a long time before he can take this on himself. So the first thing I want to say to you is I think everything you're experiencing is so normal, even eight months in. I really think, I don't know how your experience was having three children, but my experience having three children was that with (laughs) each child, I needed a whole year before I felt like I knew who this person was. I remembered them in, I mean, I mean, I never forgot them, right? They were attached to me, but somehow like I could put them in the mind of my family in a way. And like, they were just integrated into that. Mm -hmm. It didn't mean things didn't continue to change after they were a year old, but I needed a whole year. Like to mm. really be like, oh, I have this other baby, yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like diabetes is the unwanted baby, right? And it does take, in my mind, a year till you sort of get your feet under you. That's mm-hmm. not to say it gets easy after a year. It just means that I think that massive sway feeling mm-hmm. quiets some. So mm-hmm. I just want to say to you that I think it's pretty normal what you're okay. experiencing. The first recommendation I have, actually, and I recommend this a lot, Anna, is community. Because I think being in community with other parents who are experiencing the same thing is really grounding. And I am a big proponent of camp, and in particular family camp, because I think it's good for everyone in the family. Mm -hmm. Um, where, Where are you? 
We're in St. Louis. So I know that there's a diabetes camp around us, but I think they have to be nine before they can Mm -hmm. go. Yeah. So I would look into family camps, right? Because I think that your non-diabetic siblings will benefit. You and your spouse will benefit. Like all of you will get this hit of learning and experience. I remember for me, the first time I went to diabetes camp, I was walking along and I looked down, there was a test strip on the ground and I thought, wow, that's not my test strip. Yeah, It could be mine, but it could be anyone else here, right? And it was so good. Like the weight got lifted of me being the only one. So I'm a really big proponent. Plus generally at family camps, there's going to be some educational component for the parents. Mm -hmm. And I think that's also really helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and the sense of community is really powerful. So those are some things that I want to recommend. And then I wanted you to extend that into your daily life. So how can you get community support in your life? So we haven't even touched on that as a, like you haven't mentioned anything about it. Do you have family, friends, who is helping? Because I think one of the things that parents and especially the primary lead diabetes pancreas person, it's too much to carry Mm -hmm. all by yourself. Mm -hmm. And often families, parents, moms, when there's a new diagnosis feel like, Um, I don't want to burden anyone else with this. This is so Mm -hmm. much. So it's a combination of like, no one else is going to get this as right as me. Yeah. Right. And I don't want to burden anybody. This is a lot to teach. Mm -hmm. And I want to strongly encourage you to lean into whatever supports you have, whether that's Mm -hmm. a close friend, whether that's a parents and family to, Mm -hmm. to help train them. They're not going to be as good as you. And that's okay. He'll still survive that, right? Mm -hmm. And what he'll learn is there's a big network of people who can help him and help you, Mm -hmm. right? So I really want you to think about who you can lean into Mm -hmm. to get that additional support. Mm -hmm. So I think my my answer here is just to normalize the experience, Mm -hmm. right? Like this is just the misery of the first year. It feels really normal to me. Like every swing and sway feels like you get pulled along for the ride. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know that will get better for you, right? Like, you know, no, a hundred percent. No, I don't know a hundred percent, but do I know 95%? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And, um, and, and part of the antidote to that is getting as much support as you can. Mm -hmm. How does that feel, Anna? That's good. I mean, we, um, my husband and I, both of our sets of parents live, we're all like a triangle all within like six minutes of each other. And they help with childcare. I work part-time. So the grandparents right away took a class awesome. at the children's hospital. And yeah, I mean, they can do the shots, they can do the finger pokes, but a lot of times it's like, remind me again how to do it. But I definitely feel good. You know, I can leave him with them. I feel the most comfortable when he's at school. So the summer has been difficult. Just, Mm -hmm. I just feel very like free when he's at school because our nurse is amazing. Like at one point, our lucky. Yeah. At our little private school, there were nine kids with type one, like, I don't know, 20 years ago. And she said she would line them all up. And however old they were, she would have them do the math and she would check it. Like she was all about, you know, empowering each one so I feel really good like I'm excited about kindergarten starting because I'm that's like, great <laughs> that's really awesome yeah. because having that is amazing and yeah. you will you know it sounds like she would be a great support for you right because she's been down this road it's not like she has a kid with it but she mm-hmm. kind of knows it and yeah. she might understand the swings of it in a way that would be reassuring to you yes 
Yeah, she has been a huge blessing. Um, when I first emailed her upon diagnosis, she said, this is marking a point in your life. Everything will be before diagnosis mm-hmm. and after. Um, and so she's been wonderful. And then the other great thing that happened, um, Charlie was in preschool and it's a, it's a school that goes preschool through eighth grade. And one of the second grade teachers, her son was diagnosed when he was in kindergarten and he was a current third grader. So having a mom at the school was great. And we became instant friends and her son, Charlie is obsessed with like Charlie didn't want anything to do with the Dexcom until she brought her son over and showed us how to put it on. And Charlie's like, I want to be just like him. So Anna, you're giving the answer to your question. Yeah. (laughs) What you're talking about is community support and as much as you can find of that. Right. And of that, and your kid is going to lean into that too, right? Like mm-hmm. if he could have a 15 year old babysitter with type one mm-hmm. diabetes, he would think that you rocked the world. Yeah. Right. So I think finding those people in your community, both for you and for him are really going to help you feel yeah. normal and are yeah. going to help with those swings where you don't feel as resilient. Yeah. He was at a base. He was at one of his baseball games and I saw a teen, a young teenage girl in the stands wearing an Omnipod. And after the game, I brought him up to her and I was like, do you have type one and introduced them so that he could meet someone. And the mom of course came over and connected. And I thought this girl would be a perfect babysitter. I could feel comfortable. So that's a good idea for me to kind of remember that connection that we made. Yeah. I think that that's going to help a lot with the resilience and I, and I really have confidence it will change over time. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> oh, yeah. I feel lucky that, that I got the time with you. This has been great. Good. I'm glad, yeah. Anna. Thanks again for listening today. If you want answers to your questions about parenting a kid with type 1, I'd like to invite you to join our live recording sessions so you can ask your questions in person. Not only will you get the support you need and deserve, but through the podcast, you'll be helping other T1D parents to know that they're not alone with the challenges they're facing. To join one of my live recording sessions, simply go to www.diabetessweettalk.com and click the banner at the top of the page to register. Again, go to www.diabetessweettalk.com and click the banner at the top of the page to register.